Hello, and welcome back to another year of Lost in Science. Woo, it's nearly business as usual, isn't it? Well, almost. Um, unfortunately, Claire can't be with us this week. She's ill. Yep. Um, she told us to tell everyone it's okay. She doesn't have coronavirus, coronavirus symptoms. It's something else, she assures us. But she is staying in quarantine for the moment. Yeah, which is, which is you know, probably a smart thing for anyone who's not feeling well to do at any time. Really. Exactly. Wash your hands. Keep safe. Yeah. Um, but, Chris, you are here. I am here, yes. And you have a story for us. I do have a story. Uh, look, it has, been, it has been quite a summer. This is one of the things that's kept us from coming back early because there's been so much going on. And I'm sure there's a lot that we will have to get to in terms of coronaviruses and bushfires and all this kind of stuff. But Whether, um, whether you have an internal monologue, all sorts of that, news. Exactly, that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, 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 that's on the list, definitely. Um, so we're trying to work through. I've got a story from January the 1st, so I'm basically <laughs> going in order. But it's still also a bit of the, um, I suppose, not silly season, but... The summer kind of stories, uh, you might have seen in the news a big Black Panther-type cat sighted in New South Wales in January. So um, I'm just going to have a bit of a look at that and see what science is going to have to say about the sightings of of these big cats in Australia. They've been going on for many years, yeah. and this is not the first time ones we've seen, obviously. So uh, look, normally steer clear of these kind of stories, because often there isn't a lot that science can contribute, but hey, it's still kind of summer, so... Why not take some time to have a bit of the, a look at the, the science of the, the big cats? We've still got a couple of weeks of summer left in us. That's right. So, yeah, we might as well keep it summery and keep it light. How about you, Stu? Well, I have got a story also that's uh, hit the news over the summer as well. Um, you may have been paying attention. It did get a lot of attention in the mainstream media. Uh, there's some fast radio burst signals coming from space and I, they have a very strict period periodicity to them period. i somehow missed this in the mainstream media i don't think i don't watch enough mainstream media or consumer mainstream because you'd think i'd be all over this kind of fast radio burst news yeah I, I, I was surprised that you weren't aware of it but uh yeah it was it was in you know the bbc covered it and uh you know new scientists have run a story on it so it's definitely out there even if it's on the sciencey end of the media but uh, i'm going to look at what exactly is going on there and why why is that even interesting uh, and a lot of people obviously are interested in it and uh, telling us to watch the skies. Is it aliens, Stu? As always, probably not. Oh. Yeah, but look, I'll explain some reasons why they uh, why that may not be okay. a, a reasonable uh, explanation at this point. But in the meantime, we've got aliens, possibly, and alien big cats. Yes, absolutely. What a show. Yeah, stay tuned. Right, yes, as I was saying in the introduction there, there was a big black cat sighted in the Hunter Valley in New South Wales on New Year's Day 2020. And the Department of Primary Industries in New South Wales is, have said they are going to investigate. I have been waiting 
all January and all February so far to um, see if they have any results in their investigation and nothing coming out. So I think it's safe to just go ahead with a story on this because I don't know if there's going to be anything publicly commented on as so a result been, of it. It's been six weeks and there's no comments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. So but, how, how big was this cat and who reported this in the first place? Can, uh, we, can we get to the bottom of that part first? There was a video taken by a woman called Bev Fraser okay. and reporting to show a big black cat sitting on a fence post. And that's pretty much as what we've got to go by. Um, I'll, I'll get into a bit of the details of that of that video footage. Um, the, the investigation is interesting in itself, though. The fact that um, this is not the first time that uh, state governments have investigated uh, such reports. There was a New South Wales report published in 2013. Victoria did a similar thing in 2012. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this has been investigated by the government before. So I thought I would look at what they find. Now, I want to have a disclaimer here that, look, I'm just talking about some of these official findings and uh, how that relates to science. I don't want to... Um, I, I want to put a disclaimer that if you believe you've seen a big cat yourself or you know someone who has, then I don't want to disparage you in any way. Um, we just want to look at what is needed for a scientific verification of such animals being out there. Yeah. Yeah. And also um, also in that vein, yes, I am looking at government reports and there are some people who believe that there is a government cover-up of the big cats. Um, conspiracy theories are also uh, generally outside the realm of science, so I don't want to go there either. Have, have these conspiracy theorists ever met a cat who did as it was told? I just, well, I, I just guess think, I think taking on a cat and trying to cover up what a cat wants to do, it's not really going to happen. That is an extra, excellent point. <laughs> um, so, yeah, look, I read the reports um, from both New South Wales and Victoria. Um, and they look, the Victorian report in, in particular was interesting because they gave a kind of a hierarchy of the different kind of evidence that could be used to decide if there is such an animal out there. Yeah. And the best evidence is, of course, a physical specimen. Of an actual cat. Of an actual cat. Yeah. And this is the kind of stuff that generally when you're verifying a species, um, a physical specimen is what you go by. Um, certainly if it's a discovering a new species, you need a physical specimen. That's yeah. what's kept in a museum and people then compare any other discoveries to that specimen to say, is this is this the same thing? You know, so they, they have a type specimen that they a type keep for official yeah. verification. Yeah. Um, you know, what you're talking about though, like I suppose something something like this where it is allegedly a known species, then, you know, a physical specimen or part of a specimen that's sufficient to diagnose it, to work out what it is, would be sufficient. So that could be like, um, you know, fur, um, some bones or, you know, suitable DNA yeah. uh, on record. Um, and we don't have any such specimens. Nobody's been able to produce a cat or bits of a cat in any way. No, um, there have been some attempts. There was, there is, actually, there is a specimen a allegedly a piece of DNA evidence that was collected in um, in a fecal sample from Winchelsea in 1991, and it was tested in two th- the year 2000, and the mitochondrial DNA was found to match that of a leopard. Wow. Um, but this has not been officially published in any way because the laboratory that did the testing said they they couldn't guarantee there hadn't been contamination. Um, some original analysis of the sample was conducted in a laboratory with samples of hairs from leopards so they couldn't guarantee that there was no contamination so yeah it's that's a, that's the only kind of dna evidence that there has been um that possibly points to it to anything exotic and it's not it's unfortunately it's not reliable enough it's not reliable because the people who did it said well maybe we'll get it wrong yeah yeah so you've got to sort of take their word for it isn't it yeah, yeah yeah oh they thought it was still probably fairly reliable but they couldn't guarantee it yeah um 
photographic evidence is kind of the next level down. There would have to be, though, good quality photographic evidence that allows you to identify it. Now, the the really good photos of these big cats that, that you see around, if they're, they're a very good, clear photo, then they generally tend to be a domestic cat, Felis catus. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can tell this. You can see the identifying features. I mean, uh, domestic cats generally have pointed ears, which are high up on their head. Yep. I am doing this, I am imitating this now. You're doing the cat. Whereas cat ears, yes. yeah, your big yes. wild cats usually have more rounded ears that are kind of lower down and more widely spaced. And the big cats also have kind of uh, they have square heads. Um, they have um, longer tails with uh, short hair on them. Uh, whereas you know domestic cats might have shorter tails with longer hair. Um, big cats have more muscular legs and feet, as you'd imagine. They also usually have yellow eyes with rounded pupils. Mm-hmm. So these are all kind of distinguishing features. And you can see these features in a lot of the clear photos of the alleged um, big cats. Um, the ones that are meant to be, the people say, possibly are still a, a big cat generally tend to be the more blurry and ambiguous photos. Right. And this footage from the Hunter Valley, unfortunately, falls into that category. If you look at it, what you see is what seems to be a cat-like animal, but it's really a black blob sitting on a fence post. And so it's, you can't see any of the features, so you can't really tell. There's no way to tell what it is. Um, and also in the pictures like this, it's very hard to tell the size of the of the animal without, you know, really good verification. Yeah, nothing, no, no reference. There's not really a, a good reference by. there. Yeah. So it's, it's really hard to say what it is. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's kind of the next level. And this doesn't fall in the category. Um, obviously, sighting someone says they've seen uh, a big cat, um, you know, even if it's a really good witness and a very clear sighting, unfortunately, it's still just kind of hearsay, I suppose you can say, and it's not good enough for a scientific verification. Um, and then down, you ha- down from that, you have, you know, carcasses that allegedly have been eaten by a big cat or even prints and those prints and those sort of things. Um, and this kind of stuff is the thing that sounds kind of convincing at first, but... You know, when you look at it logically, unfortunately, it loses that a bit. So, like, um, you know, what happens, people often will see, say, a carcass for an animal that looks like it is unusual behavior that, say, wild dogs or wild pigs may not do that kind of be- that kind of behavior. So you have to decide, is this, like, an unknown predator to the region or is it a known predator doing some unknown behavior? So it could just, yeah, it could just be a, a feral dog behaving weirdly. Yeah, or it could be that the carcass has been interfered in some other way by multiple species, perhaps. Similarly with prints, like, you know, you may get a print that looks like it belongs to a to, to something now, if it's a, if it looks like it belongs to a species that you know lives in the area, then you can you can generally assume that's what it is. Yeah. But if it looks like it belongs to something that is kind of really weird to the area, then you have to kind of consider the possibility that it is actually something else. Mm. You know, you can't be absolutely hundred percent certain. So yeah, this is um, some of the, the complexity of this evidence. Um, but there is also something else that I want to draw attention to, which is the curious fact that when you see all these, when you look at these sightings. Um, that generally these big cats tend to be black. They're described as black panthers. Yeah, they're always they always seem to be these black panthers. That's that's the story that always comes out, isn't it? Yeah. Now there's a there's a database in New South Wales that, that some people are keeping, and they've got ninety one percent of the sightings are black. Mm-hmm. Now panthers, I should say, aren't actually a species of big cat. They are just a name for a uh, a type for black or what they call melanistic forms of another species. Right. Um, so um, you know that's usually going to be a leopard or a jaguar. So not all species of big cats have these melanistic forms. So like lions and tigers 
aren't don't aren't black. Right. So there's you know it's not going to be that. Um, there are a lot of different species of wild cats in the world though. Most of them are quite small, around the size of a feral cat. So mm-hmm. you know it could be one of them, but that's less exciting than um, I mean that's less likely than being a a wild feral cat, a feral domestic cat, um, which we know can be black. I mean, my okay. cat at home is black, so... Yeah, you know, and also can they can get quite large when they're... The feral specimens get pretty big too. Yeah, um, there is a theory going around that um, they are unusually large in Australia. They're growing to like giant sizes in Australia. That's one theory that people are saying. Mm. Um, this has also not been verified. It's a controversial theory um, because some of the sizes being claimed seem to be quite outside the realm of what's known. So it's... Well, again, you still have to find one. You still have to find one. You that's know, right. You still need the, this. Is, well, look at this. Look at this giant domestic cat we yeah. found. Well, that would prove it. But if you can't find one, then that doesn't really lend any credibility to that theory. Yeah. Now, the um the the black forms of other cats, puffy and domestic cats, are generally fairly rare in nature. There was actually a pub- paper published in December 2019 that had a theory about why there might be black cats, mm. and uh, also or why there some might be rare. That is, I mean. Um, so a lot of these species of wild cats have white dots or white markings behind their ears, mm-hmm. um, which are believed to be used as a form of communication. You know, they wiggle their ears or they, they show their ears as a way to communicate yeah. to other cats. Right. And um, a purely black animal lacks the white markings and so therefore is at a disadvantage evolutionarily. That's the theory they put forward. Um, I don't know how the lot of that is because even though the black forms are quite rare, you still get them in some populations. Um, the Indo-Chinese leopard, which is Panthera partis subtype delicuri, um, is mostly black on the Malaysian peninsula, on the Malay Peninsula. So you know there are you know substantial populations out there, and you know they're also appealing for captivity as well. So they might be more commonly in in captivity. Um, the the black Fur is actually a recessive trait in leopards. So if you did actually have them released into the wild in Australia and all their successive generations would be black as well. Okay. So that's that's for leopards. That's not the case for jaguars. Jaguars, is a, it's a dominant trait, so the genetics would be slightly different. Um, but you would still need a breeding population to get these six generations of black leopards. And, you know, I can't find... Any records of panthers being released into the wild? I've done a quick scan of the newspapers on Trove, the National Library of Australia website. Can't find any record records of escapes of panthers in Australia, or even circus trains crashing and releasing panthers. I don't know. I mean, there are some unverified stories. A story that always go around. Um, there were some stories actually from Victoria that the U.S. military personnel in World War II had pumas, also known as cougars or mountain lions, as mascots, and that they may have released them into the into the wild. But um, Cougars are noticeably not black. Yeah, yeah, obviously. Which, which is another interesting thing that I've noticed, though, because as you said, yeah, they're always black panthers, and this is actually seen all around the world. People see these animals in like New Zealand, in Finland, in Denmark, in Ireland. There's been a number of famous cases in Britain, and even in the United States as well, where they have a native large cat mm-hmm. that is not black, but people still see black panthers in the you know, believe they see black panthers. So it's just, and even we talk about the idea of that some might be feral cats growing to unusual sizes. For some reason, it's only the black ones that are growing to unusual sizes, which is kind of weird. Yeah. Yeah, there could be an explanation for this, that the black um, cats are easier to see, which is why people are seeing them. But it's still, it's, a, it's an odd thing. And um, I can't find any research for why people would be seeing, thinking they're seeing um, black 
panthers as opposed to any other form of animal, which in theory should be more common. But it's just something that, that happens. But it's just, um, it's just a much cooler story. It is a cooler story. Yeah. But yeah, so look, we are waiting for unequivocal evidence that there are some some actual big cats out there. Um, there is a lot of biodiversity surveys happening these days. There is a federal government's bush blitz program. Um, these kind of programs regularly find new species, but so far haven't found any unknown predators. But, you know, you can't prove a negative. You can't prove that they're not out there. Um, and, you know, there's been so many sightings that, you know, it's possible that there is something. We just need the actual proof to be say for science to say yes it is real across australia on the community radio network you're listening to lost in science radio astronomers have been listening to the sky uh since a guy named grote reba built a nine-metre parabolic dish in his backyard in Illinois in 1937. Um, and he surveyed the sky to see what he could pick up. Basically just pointed this thing at the sky mm. and went, what can I hear? And of course, the biggest radio source in the sky is the sun itself. So you've got to try and point it away from the sun. So, yeah, he, he waited till night, yeah. which was probably yeah. the best move. But he did find, you know, um, signals coming from the centre of the Milky Way and various... Yep. Um, astronomical bodies um and this is basically the the birth of radio astronomy there there was a guy who was working for a phone company who did something similar a bit earlier um but he was finding the same things anyway so uh grote reba pretty much set the bar and said i've you know built this radio telescope so radio telescopes are massive now a lot bigger than nine meters and, and they can even link them together and form gigantic super radio mm. telescopes by linking different telescopes together in different places um they basically pick up signals from the cosmos of all different kinds from all different directions all over the sky pretty much um so some of the signals are constant like you've got your microwave background radiation which is just doesn't matter which way you point your radio telescope you've always got this signal coming in um and stars and other objects give off various frequencies of radiation all the time as well uh, and then you've got other signals that are more intermittent, which can be sometimes regular, like bursts of radiation from pulsars yep. that make them look like they're blinking on and off. Yep, because um, they have um, they have a spinning pulsar will with a, its magnetic field give a little beam of yep. radio waves in the pole, and so when it points towards you, you will see a um, a flash of light, basically. Yeah, and they're spinning, so they yep. yeah, and sometimes the pole's pointing at us, and sometimes yep. it's not. Um, so they, they sort of blink on and off. And other signals appear only once, and the source may remain a mystery for many years, like the wow signal. You know, the wow signal. Yeah, yeah. It was back 19, in the 70s, was it? 1977 um, from the constellation Sagittarius. It was a 72-second-long radio signal detected by a radio telescope at the University of Ohio called the Big Ear. Um, it was only detected once, and... No explanation really has a consensus amongst the astronomers. They can't agree on what actually was causing this signal. Unfortunately, just having one thing like that is not enough to... Yeah, you need, you need more than one point of data to, yeah, to, it... to figure out what's going on. Yeah. Um, and the source of these various signals usually help explain how they occur and what is generating the energy behind them. So it's got a, it usually is a lot of energy considering the huge distances these signals are travelling. Mm, then, mm. you know, 
millions and sometimes billions of light years, uh, yep. that's a really long way for a signal to travel. So it's got to have a really big energy source behind it. Not always. There was um, one a few years ago that was a radio telescope in Australia, somewhere in Australia, I believe, that they're getting this uh, this strong signal uh, intermittently. And they uh, eventually realised that it was the microwave oven. It only occurred at lunchtime, this um, this particular signal. And so it was, <laughs> yeah. The microwave the oven hadn't been shielded sufficiently and they were picking that up with their radio telescope. Wow. Well, at least you know the radio telescope sensitive as well. Yeah, that's right. Gives you gives you some hope that that's a good good piece of equipment. Um, so there's also a group of about a hundred signals being detected from different sources, which are known as fast radio bursts or FRBs, and these are currently a mystery as well. We don't really know what's what's causing these bursts. So uh, because some of them um, okay, so they last only a few milliseconds and they originate from extragalactic distances, meaning they come from outside the Milky Way galaxy. So that's a long way away. Yeah, these are coming from billions of light years away. Well, not, yeah, some, some of billions, them, yeah. Some of them. Um, so because, none of, uh, because some of them emit repeated bursts from the same location, astronomers have ruled out any cataclysmic cause of the burst. So... It's not like a supernova by, or something. Yeah, it's not caused by collapsing stars or collisions of stars or black holes or anything yeah, like okay. that. Because if that happened, it would only happen once, and you'd just get a big burst. Yeah, um, but they some of them repeat at various intervals. But it's got to be something big because getting that a strong signal from like another galaxy, um, and like yeah. some of them are going to be billions of light years away. That's, that's right. That's incredibly strong. Yeah, it's it's huge. Um, so an even smaller number of FRBs have ongoing repeating patterns. And one such signal is the subject of a paper currently awaiting peer review in the online Arxiv uh, I think it's repository. I think it's Archive. Archive yeah. yeah, yeah. If, it's, if it's, you pronounce the chi. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. It's physicists started this. They, they, they like a bit of Greek, Greek letters. Yeah. So the paper is called... Periodic activity from a fast radio burst source, creative name, uh, and is the result of a collaboration called the Canadian Hydrogen Intensity Mapping Experiment Fast Radio Burst Project, or CHIME slash FRB, which is much easier to remember. Um, the team behind the paper recorded 28 bursts of signals from a particular source called, and this is also a catchy name, FRB. One eight zero nine one six point J zero one five eight plus six five. It's again, it's not a very interesting name, and good luck remembering it. But it came in a sixteen-day cycle, so the statistical analysis of the bursts showed it was unlikely that the repeating nature of the bursts was purely by chance, uh, because they weren't exactly the same distance apart, but they did come in um, a cycle that came in periods of four days of signals and then a 12-day gap and then right. four days of signals and then a 12-day gap okay so this was a repeating pattern that they picked up and they just checked that you know had a look and said oh no it's not we're not just imagining it these are actually in in discrete packages of signals um so the repeating pattern of the signals is what is interesting to the researchers, though there are multiple plausible answers that they have suggested in the paper. Um, but without knowing what is emitting the signal, they can really only be 
tentative explanations for what might be going on. Okay. So the the fact that it's periodic, they have uh, proposed that one possibility is the object producing the the radio signal is in orbit around another object or in co-orbit with another object. Uh, and it's only in the right position to transmit every 12 days and it stays visible to us from Earth for four days. But it doesn't seem like that's a, a regular kind of orbit. It seems like a very odd... It seems weird that it'll be at that different level, like steps of levels, rather than just gradually declining and disappearing. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and, and yeah, and the 12 days... 12 days off and four days on, is it seems odd that it would be obscured for longer than it's visible if it's in orbit. But, is, you know. Is it still going, this thing? Um, apparently it's faded out. So they only measured it up until October 2019. Right. Um, but but uh, some reports were saying that, oh, that it stopped transmitting, That's which is weird. also weird. Yeah. Um, that they picked up on it and it was just happened to be for that period. Um so, you know, you can see similar examples of orbits explain other phenomena, like, as we said, the blinking of pulsars based on their angle of rotation. But, um, you know, it's it's still a tentative explanation because we don't know what's creating the transmission. We don't know what's driving the transmission to come out at all. Mm. So how it's only periodically visible yeah. is, is sort of, that's the you know, the, the smaller part of the puzzle because we could explain that in a whole number of different ways. Yeah. I was going to say, if like it was, it's going to keep repeating in the same sort of cycle, then if you can just keep watching this particular source and allows you to hopefully find out more about it. Yeah, well, hopefully they will be able to get more data, but, yeah. they've, you know, they're still waiting to get their paper actually peer-reviewed because yeah. it's just sitting there at the moment. Um, now, of course, the explanation many other observers have leapt to is deliberate alien transmissions intended to communicate with us or with other alien life. Um, and other scientists have been quick to point out that, you know, the huge amounts of energy required to send these signals so far into space, sometimes billions of light years, are so large that it seems unlikely that anyone would use that much energy just for a message, to send a message. It just seems like a massive waste of energy. Yeah, so like each burst is like more energy than the sun would emit in a year or something yeah, like that? Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, huge orders of magnitude bigger than what you would need to make a phone call kind of thing. Yeah. So it's, and also, it, you know, we don't really know what how how directional it is, whether it's aimed in any particular, it just yeah. seems like a huge waste of uh, energy. Um, some people have also pointed out that similar signals have been detected from many different sources, sometimes billions of light years apart themselves. So there would have to be cooperation between far distant, you know, um, intelligences to even agree on what what was this system of you know communication based on and, and protocols and all that stuff it just seems like a bit of a stretch it reminds me though of carl sagan's book contact yeah though which had um a, a simple a deceptively simple signal being de- being sent by radio which then had other sim- signals hidden inside it through its polarization pattern or other stuff yeah. like that and that was instructions for connecting to a ser- series of, of wormholes that allowed you to travel faster than light throughout the galaxy. So, you know, you could coordinate perhaps across great distances if you had such a network of wormholes and if your message was this kind of broadcast, this is how to join our network as opposed to targeted at a civilization like Earth. I just want to say the blueprints are there in, in contact. Well, that's, you know, I mean, maybe this is just intergalactic spam 
yeah. saying join up to our international intergalactic, um, you know, transport network. Possible, possible, possible. But I think at this point, um, the fast radio bursts that have been observed are likely to provide a better understanding of the universe and how it functions, but it's not likely to be through contact with advanced aliens, but probably just more by, you know, good old-fashioned scientific investigation instead. Pretty much. Yeah. That's all we've got time for on this episode of Lost in Science. Thanks for tuning in and joining us. Lost in Science is recorded at the studios of 3CR in Melbourne and broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network with the financial assistance of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. If you want to talk to us, talk back to us, uh, you can get in touch. We have a Gmail account, lostinsci at Gmail. Uh, You can also find us on Twitter and on the Facebook Uh, And if that's not enough lost in science for you, you can always tune in again next week where the team will once again get lost in science. listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online.